Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Richard, let's start with pistachios. Yum. I love them. You know that 99% of America's pistachio crop is grown in California's San Joaquin Valley. And right now, growers, Jim, are not happy. After President Trump slapped tariffs on Chinese steel and aluminum, China retaliated with a 45% tariff on pistachios. That's bad news for the growers, obviously, because most of their crop goes overseas. China and Hong Kong are the biggest buyers. But that's not the end of the story. No, there is, there is more to this, Jim. Most pistachios are grown in the home districts of three California Republican congressmen who are up for a vote in, in the midterm election. So I, I guess China did its homework. It's funny how these things work. Sometimes your opponents are a little smarter than you take them for. Our episode today, The Trouble with America First. James Backus. <laughs> How did you feel when you saw our president standing next to Vladimir Putin at the microphones in a press conference and essentially making common cause with him, even as he denigrates other sorts of institutions with our long-term allies? That was a sad moment, especially for America and all that we are supposed to stand for, but it was an even sadder moment for the rest of the world, which depends on the United States of America to stand up for the ideals of freedom and for the rule of law. And I think at bottom, our president is pessimist. He doesn't really believe in America or in the American people, despite all he says about putting America first. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? In recent days, the news has been flooded with reports of President Trump's trash talk against America's allies, especially the European Union, NATO, Germany, the British Prime Minister, and his baffling support for Vladimir Putin. 
You know, these global institutions like NATO and the World Trade Organization, they were really built and led by the U.S. Today we're going to talk about why these institutions matter and what happens specifically if we begin to pull out of institutions like the World Trade Organization. We live in a global economy. Over a third of all goods produced in the world today cross borders, and that's up from a fifth only a generation ago. We've called in a true expert on trade disputes to tell us more. Jim Backus is a professor at the University of Central Florida, and he leads the Center for Global Economic and Environmental Opportunity. He also served as a chief judge for the World Trade Organization, and he's a former member of Congress from Florida. Jim Backus' new book is called The Willing World, Shaping and Sharing a Sustainable Global Prosperity. Jim joins us via Skype from Orlando, Florida. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Well, thank you for inviting me and for seeking me out. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. I think that President Trump often seems to say that the world is a zero-sum game, that every agreement involves one side winning and the other side losing. In the case of of global trade, that's not true, is it? It's not true at all. Um, Trade is not a zero-sum game. Trade is a win-win game. And uh, now that the marketplace is worldwide, we can have globally extended supply chains that promote more efficient production, a greater volume of goods and services for everyone. The reason to trade is not to export, it's to import. It's to be able to uh, uh, purchase from someone else things that you need But don't want to spend your time or energies producing because you can do better by focusing those time and energies on doing something else. What's true of individuals is also true of nations. Sorry, I I understand this argument, but you have to admit the anti-trade argument is very compelling for a lot of people. I remember back in the 70s, this was a Democratic Party position that – we were getting, and in the 80s, we were getting taken advantage of by Japan and other countries because they sold more to us than we sold to them. And it feels like when that happens, you're losing. Uh, why, why is this argument so appealing even today to so many voters? The reason there is so much anti-trade sentiment in the United States today is because for the past generation, we have failed to do much of what we need to do to help make certain domestically that the American people are prepared to compete and are able to compete in the new world in which we find ourselves. History teaches that no country has ever grown and continued to grow, that phrase being important, without being open to the wider world. So what are examples of where this applies, where people are not being properly prepared for the the changing economy? A lot of it has to do with education and the right kind of education, training and retraining. It has to do a lot with making certain that people have uh, sufficient safety net on which they can fall back during times of transition, and this is certainly one. It has to do with uh, investing far more than we're investing now in basic research and development, both publicly and privately, and we're not doing a lot of that in the United States. And that's why a lot of people are being left out, left over, and left behind. It's easy to blame trade 
because trade comes from a foreign country and it's always easier to blame the foreigner rather than looking in our own mirror. But the facts are that 85% of the job shifts and job losses that we have in this country are being caused by changes in technology, only 13% from trade. And we must make the best use of all the opportunities we have. And we're not going to be able to do that if we don't have competition. If we close the doors of our economy to competition, then our economy will eventually shrink and die because we'll no longer be competitive in the world. We've seen President Trump, both when he was on the campaign trail and now that he's in office, attacking all manner of global institutions. So much of your life has been devoted to trying to develop and strengthen some of these institutions. If you look at his attacks on something like the World Trade Organization, why is that potentially against America's interests? Well, I'm not sure if our president realizes it, but our country was foremost in creating the rules-based world trading system that is now under the auspices of the World Trade Organization. And we did so because it was and remains in our own self-interest to do so. The large trading nation we are, we profit the most from being able to conduct trade in a world in which there are internationally agreed rules and in which those rules are upheld by the international rule of law. The amount of global trade worldwide has quadrupled during the time of the WTO, and it's not an accident. You mentioned that the World Trade Organization is an institution that was really founded and led by the U.S., and that's true about a lot of our global institutions, also NATO. Do you think Trump doesn't recognize the preeminent role the U.S. has played in these organizations? He doesn't care I can't explain our president. I can say that what we need in the 21st century is international cooperation and not international confrontation. There are really very few issues anymore in the United States that are purely domestic issues. Pretty much everything has international, uh, if not a global dimension to it. We simply cannot go it alone. And right now we're being left alone by the uh, policies that are being pursued by our current leadership. Donald Trump called uh, the European Union a foe in in the past few days. Is it in any way a foe? The European Union is one of the great achievements of the past half century and more. 28 countries have been united in a shared belief in freedom. And um, I think it has to be noted that uh, while in the 20th century, two world wars began in Europe, we have not seen a third world war beginning in Europe. And a lot of that is due to the European Union. A lot of it is due to our support for many decades of the growth of the European Union. A lot of it's due to the fact that uh, these European countries are members of NATO along with us. Uh, we're the ones who are departing from our values at this time. The Europeans are continuing to try their best to stand up for them. 
Speaking of wars, it's tempting to think that in trade you can fire a warning shot across the bow of some other country, and maybe for a legitimate reason they have some practice that is genuinely problematic, and maybe you put a selective tariff on this thing or that thing, and you assume that they're just there, they're going to behave, but that doesn't usually happen, doesn't it? Throughout history, trade confrontations and trade wars have turned into shooting wars. A lot of people forget the reason why the United States led the world in uh, the years right after the Second World War in establishing a global trading system was to keep some trade confrontation from starting World War III. In that, we've succeeded so far. And this is because countries have come together and cooperated to keep their inevitable trade disputes from getting out of hand. They do that through dispute settlement in the WTO. Over the past 20 years, the WTO dispute settlement system has resolved more than 500 legal cases internationally that have gone through the system. And there's an untold number more that have been resolved simply because there is a rule-based system that upholds rules and has the authority to authorize trade retaliation where countries don't comply with the rules. What we're doing now in the United States is either ignoring the rules or abusing them. So what, what is the threat now? Uh, we, we've, we've gone from the trade war starting with, I think it was 18 products at the beginning of this year, now involving 10,000. Um, is there a threat to the global economy? Is there a threat to our jobs and, and our businesses? Well, the International Monetary Fund has just reported uh, this week that um, if things continue as they are in, in trade conflicts, about one half of 1% of expected global growth will be shaved away between now and 2020. That's probably a conservative number because they're counting only the direct effects of uh, these tit-for-tat tariffs. This doesn't count the additional tit-for-tat tariffs we'll likely see involving many more countries and many more products if the situation is not resolved, nor does it consider the indirect effects, all of the knock-on effects in terms of lost job opportunities, of uh, lost investments. But above all of this and beyond all of this is the damage that's being done to the rule-based world trading system. If the confrontations fomented by the United States in the WTO end up undermining the WTO as a global institution, then the global rules for trade will unravel and we will see far more damage. We're How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with Jim Backus, who is the former chief judge at the World Trade Organization, also author of a really interesting new book called The Willing World, uh, which talks a lot about sustainable global prosperity. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Your book is called The Willing World. What do you mean by the willing? Who are the willing? The willing are those grassroots of the world who are working every day to try to create global sustainable development. Many of them don't even realize that they're working on global sustainable development. They're simply working to improve their local communities by doing all that must be done, education, healthcare, environmental protection, fighting climate change, creating new clean energies, and a lot more. They face an unwilling world in which many people are fearful economically, Many are in denial about the environmental challenges we must face, and many are unwilling to face the fact that we need to make an economic and environmental transition worldwide to a new kind of world. You you mentioned the phrase sustainable development. What does that mean to you? Sustainable development is development that helps all of us who are here now to live good lives and have a bright future while also preserving the possibility for others in the future to do the same. The United Nations has adopted in 2015 the Sustainable Development Goals for the World. There are 17 goals. So there are 169 targets. The idea is to try to achieve these goals and these targets by 2030. This is the so-called 2030 Agenda of the United Nations, and literally millions of people throughout the world are engaged in working to achieve these goals. And in my view, as I explain in my book, the only way we will achieve these goals is if we do it from the bottom up. Furthermore, we need to have an enabling framework of rules at every level that makes all this possible. Now, you mentioned the idea of a kind of grassroots sustainability. Many people who are concerned about environmental issues, concerned about global warming, they see capitalism as the problem. You take a very different view. What, what do you see as the role of free markets in this more cooperative future that you're envisioning? Well, un unlike some climate activists, and I am one, um, I don't see the solution being a grand bargain reached at some global summit and then announced to the planet. I see the solution as coming up from the experimentation and the innovation at the grassroots levels in the world. And I see the market as key to that. Uh, I think our best way of finding climate solutions is to find market solutions that can drive our necessary transition economically due to climate change. 
in the future, what do you think is is the greatest threat to global prosperity? Certainly, climate change is first on the list now. It is all pervasive and affects all else. But climate change is only one of the issues we face ecologically. Our ecosystems of all kinds are increasingly endangered. A good example might be the loss of species and biodiversity, which will have untold effects on people and how we live. One of my core beliefs is that we cannot separate our future economically from our future environmentally. I believe we have for too long treated the economy and the environment as separate and apart when actually they are one and the same. And unless and until we reimagine all of our international rules and institutions so that they see and treat economy and environment as one, we won't be able to achieve our sustainable development goals. Assuming that we can get the U.S. back on track and that we can have a global community that agrees with you on the need for international cooperation and the need to improve our global institutions, where would you start with that? For instance, your, your big area of expertise is with the World Trade Organization, the WTO. How could that be modernized to reflect the huge changes in, in the global economy? My foremost suggestion is that uh, the WTO adopt a climate waiver uh, that will enable countries to impose restrictions on trade when they truly are restrictions related to compliance with the Paris Climate Agreement and other efforts to address climate change. I would also reimagine international investment rules to promote not just investment, but also sustainable investment. One of the problems in the world is, is, the, is the rise of nationalism. And, and one of the reasons for that increase is stagnating living standards for many people in developed countries such as the United States and Europe. Do you have any proposals, any ideas that might reduce inequality or at least improve prosperity for people who have been passed by, uh, by, the, by the global system that, that you're a supporter of? There are two basic approaches for our rising level of inequality, which I believe to be obscene. Uh, one is redistribution. Had I still been in the Congress, I would most certainly have voted against the most recent tax bill. And we need a, a fair tax base, and, and we simply don't have that. We are having a concentration of wealth in this country that makes our representative democracy look like an oligarchy or some kind of a plutocracy. But the answer to inequality is not just redistribution. The answer is growth. Growth comes from productivity. And in the world in which we find ourselves, we're only going to have productive growth if it's sustainable growth. So many of these international frameworks you're talking about require building some consensus, some common ground across national borders. But it seems like not just here in the U.S., but 
over much of the world today, we're going in the opposite direction. We're seeing nationalist, populist groups uh, uh, pop up. You're seeing antagonism towards international agreements. What happened? I mean, we've made, we, it seems like we were making some pretty good progress. There are many causes that have conflated into this crisis we face now. One is a loss of trust and leaders and institutions. Another is the fact that closed societies are now being challenged by the prospect of openness in which people face the fear of change. And uh, what we're seeing is some politicians trying to exploit the fears of the people in order to secure and maintain power. One, one really good example of that has, has been the rise of Vladimir Putin in, in, in Russia. Yes, that's, that's true. President Putin has taken Russia in exactly the wrong direction, and it's done great harm to the Russian people. And yet it's, it's uh, lengthened his personal career. Yes, it has. The authoritarian impulse is not a new thing, but it seems to be virulent now. Authoritarianism thrives in times of uncertainty and in times when people are fearful and looking for answers and don't have them. There are always people who are going to try to exploit those fears. I think we need to do the opposite in our politics. We need to try to bring people together and not pull them apart. How did you feel when you saw our president standing next to Vladimir Putin at the microphones in a press conference and essentially making common cause with him, even as he denigrates other sorts of institutions with our long-term allies? That was a sad moment, especially for America and all that we are supposed to stand for, but it was an even sadder moment for the rest of the world, which depends on the United States of America to stand up for the ideals of freedom and for the rule of law. Um, I've managed to write a book of nearly 200,000 words that doesn't include the words Donald Trump. But my approach to the world seems to be precisely the opposite of his. I'm an optimist, and I think at bottom, our president is pessimist. He doesn't really believe in America or in the American people, despite all he says about putting America first. He's been putting all we belong believed in last. And what he did in Helsinki truly underscored that. The book is called The Willing World, Shaping and Sharing a Sustainable Global Prosperity, Jim Backus, thanks for joining us. My great pleasure. Anytime. Jim, I think I can sum up the recommendations of Jim Backus with a single phrase, which is, we need more international cooperation. Well, this wouldn't be how do we fix it if we didn't disagree on stuff. I would say the real problem facing us today isn't that we need more international cooperation, but maybe that we need to defend what we've got. You know, I'm not necessarily looking forward to a world where all these global agreements severely erode 
the sovereignty of different countries. But I do like a world with organizations like the World Trade Organization, like NATO, where we can hash out disputes, where we come to each other's aid. So, you know, rather than saying, oh, let's build up even more, let's first not dismantle what we've got. And I'm afraid that's what's happening right now. Well, I I agree that we need to defend, but we also need to modernize. We need to update, for instance, the World Trade Organization so that it is able to be more in the digital world so it can effectively, quickly, and this is one problem with many of these international organizations, they take a long time to to make their deliberations, to to quickly update uh, the way the world is changing and uh, come up with better solutions to intellectual property, for instance. Yeah, no, that's a good example. No, I, I strongly agree these things need to be updated. But what is so troubling to me is that the argument against international cooperation, the argument against free trade, these arguments are so easy to make. They, you know, they used to be more left-wing arguments. You know, back in the 80s, this was, it was a common sort of blue-collar Democratic voter. They were the ones who were uh, uh, opposed to trade. They thought trade was taking away jobs. And then it, that, that, that ground has kind of shifted, or else Trump sort of swept those people or their children up under his wing in advocating for policies that really aren't conservative. They're something else. They're kind of nationalistic. They're kind of populist. But now we're starting to see this can start to do some real damage. It can start to do some real damage, clearly on the right with the Republican Party. But I have little confidence that if the Democrats were back in charge, that they would necessarily defend the WTO and NATO and some of these other international organizations. I think there's a strong push led by President Trump that's not just affecting his party. Right, and it's not just here in the U.S. This is a global phenomenon. That's why it's so important to have people like Jim Backus. I mean, this guy really represents the the good side of the establishment. And I don't agree with everything he's necessarily saying about redistribution and other things. Well, I do. Right, and that's fine. But we need people like this who understand how things work. He's argued in front of the court. He's been a judge uh, in the World Trade Organization and can defend them. And the idea that all experts are suspect, that all, you know, elites are just out for themselves. There's always little grains of truth in those arguments, but generally they're not true. And it could take decades to rebuild institutions that we wind up, you know, pulling out of or tearing down or damaging. So two cheers for the global elite. Yes. Uh, <laughs> one other thing I really liked about Bacchus's comments, you know, capitalism has worked really well to build world prosperity and health, and it can also work to help improve a lot of our environmental problems. It was really interesting to see him say that the, the key to any global solution is growth first. I thought that was intriguing in a world where so many people on the, the populace on the left want to say that any sort of growth or prosperity is the problem. Growth, but sustainable growth, yeah. not just growth. Right. Within certain... Growth that will work for future generations. Okay, let me growth give, that will let me give you a good example. stewardship of the planet. Let me give you a good example. I'm in favor of free markets. I'm not in favor of every country that can float a boat going out there and strip mining the oceans of all the fish. You do need international organizations. You need some restrictions. You need to agree on how to limit fishing. There's an example of where I think um, just one little place we can have economic activity, but within certain boundaries, boundaries that we help set up and negotiate, but then we have to adhere to them. 
It's How Do We Fix It. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and the show is a production of Davies Content. Davies Content makes digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Our website is Davies Content, spelt the Welsh way, D-A-V-I-E-S, content.com. Thanks for listening. Any relation to Dave Davies? <laughs> I've been asked that the too many times. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.